Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What The Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this saga will shine eternal or crumble to ash under close inspection. I'm Isaac. And I'm Chloe. And in this episode, we're talking about chapter nine of Life and Death, Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Do you want to tell the listeners about how you nearly killed your husband? Oh. Yeah, I think people should know who you really are. (laughs) It was a mistake. It was a mistake. Mm. He is fine. He's Mm. recovering very well. You said he still looks ill. (laughs) He looks a little peaky. I feel bad because I just had... You just have mind blanks, don't you? Yeah. I'd forgotten about how bad the hay fever could get. So I took the dog for a nice run in a field took some beautiful videos of him running through flowers with all the pollen flying into the air it looked beautiful our dog is white and brown and by the time he got home his face was all yellow with pollen and then um within a few minutes ross was struggling to breathe basically (laughs) and sneezing and coughing and oh it was you know it's always the spouse it's always the spouse oh i don't know you're saying i'm like sharon stone from Basic Instincts. Basic Instincts. Is is she married? I'm sure it's her husband. I just thought it was her lover. Because, like, the the opening shot is, like, very heavy sex that they're having. Mm -hmm. And I'm like... That can still happen in a marriage, Chloe. No, I don't think so. As long as it's been put in your diaries two to three months beforehand, it can still happen. (laughs) You can go as wild as you like within the designated hour slot. Hour? That's all you get. That's all you get. No, you're right. So it was a husband and he was reaching over the hour mark and she thought, right, ice pick. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's happened one too many times. He'd probably gone over his allotted hour session three times within a six month period and you just don't... You just don't do that. No. He deserved it, really. So yeah, he nearly killed him. Oh, yeah. He's fine. Samantha <laughs> means he'll be Did fine. Did he blame you? Was he angry? He didn't say that. <laughs> But I felt it. (laughs) Which is even worse. (laughs) So chapter nine of Life and Death, Twilight Reimagined is entitled Theory. It is still Tuesday the 15th of March 2005. We have spent so long on this Tuesday. Edith drives Beau home from the restaurant in Port Angeles. On the way, Edith explains how her mind reading works. Beau admits that he knows that Edith is a vampire, which he realised after speaking to Jules Black. They basically both share how much they fancy each other. Beau is happy, but Edith is disturbed, afraid of hurting Beau. When they arrive at Charlie's house, Beau tries to kiss Edith, but she recoils. She then makes him promise to not go into the woods alone. Do not kiss me. Don't go into the woods alone. <laughs> Inside, Beau goes straight to bed and falls asleep, sniffing Edith's scarf. <laughs> Where do we even begin? (sighs) So, you know how I was saying the previous chapter, chapter eight, was a little bit lacklustre for me. Well, boy, was I wrong. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> this... Honestly, <laughs> everything happened in the last chapter here, not a thing. Again, the conversation. I'm like, this isn't what I want. I would have ended chapter eight when they ditch Alan and Jeremy at the cinema. And then I would have begun chapter nine at the restaurant and included this conversation in that chapter because really this whole chapter is just a conversation i just like i don't have like big notes because there's nothing little notes big notes and medium (laughs) (laughs) hello i'm medium notes these are the notes that are not too big and not too small they are medium. medium What do you think about Edith's attitude? Rolling her eyes at him, being quite snappish and abrupt, telling him he's stupid. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. There are times where I'm like, Edith, calm down. She's a little mean. She is mean. She's a little bit of a bitch. General theme for this whole book, really, is she's not as bad as Edward. No. But Edward's still there. There was plenty here where I was like, oh... There you are, Edward. The conversation about Bo sent. Hmm, yes. He has nothing to say. I have many things to say. I'd be like, well, what do I smell like? Is it nice? Is it potent? It didn't get any less weird, did it? No. Following a scent. It is a staple of the horror genre that vampires, werewolves, creatures of the night, they have this... Creatures of the night! Creatures of the night! (laughs) Creatures of the night! (laughs) Dr. Scott! I'm sorry, what's uh, happening to us? All the other things that influenced our adolescence are trying to get in because we're so done with this. I get it that she's a monster. So no, I didn't have it. So this is the thing. But... I just had a problem with Bo's response. If someone tells you I followed your scent, you wouldn't go, well, I have nothing to say to that. You'd be like, okay, well, let's start from the beginning, shall we? Maybe he is thinking that. Uh, Maybe... But we are reading his thoughts. Mm, good point. We have had this conversation. <laughs> yeah. He is too forgiving of the weirdness sometimes. Yeah. And like I said before that Bo is a drip, but oh my God, in this chapter, he is, I don't even know. He is so pathetic. So Limp. I pity him and you don't want to be pitied, Bo. Do you find him more pathetic than Bella was? Yes. And I think that's because of the gender. Ooh. Yeah. There it is. Because in this chapter, Bo reminds me of a guy I dated for a week who ended up moving in, telling me he was like falling in love with me. And I was like, you got to get out. <laughs> he moved in after a week, Chloe. No, but it was, I didn't know it was happening. So literally, we had a date. Eh, he wasn't a very good kisser. And if you're not a good kisser, I'm like not very interested. He had some ugly tattoos as well. I remember him. I can't say what they are just in case. <laughs> what, just in case he's listening? He's like, oh, I wonder who she could be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he knows, Chloe. So listen, Theodore. I would never go out with someone called Theodore. Well, that's rude. What if he was fit and nice? Well, fit and nice, I do not go for. (laughs) That is not my type. (laughs) Touché. So basically what happened, we had a first date. Eh, I was meh. At the end of that week, we meet up. And he was like, I've quit my job. I'm leaving my house. And I was like, fuck, where are you going to live? What what are you going to do? And he just looked at me. I was like, you think you can stay with me? Well, I've got nowhere else to go. I was like, well, whose fault is that? (laughs) 
See, I will never find a man attractive if I pity him. Ah, but then sometimes that's a pity. That's not sympathy. It doesn't mean that a guy never has to be in a position to be pitied. It's just about what handling that, the way you wear it. I never want to be like, oh, I just, I just feel really sorry for them because like they're a little bit pathetic. Whereas I feel really sorry for them because that situation is shit. And I will either do A to help or B to support. Right. Rather okay. than just being like, this guy who didn't know me already wanted to live with me. I mean, bless him, I did come home to a cooked meal every day, which was amazing. But you'd known him for a week. Exactly. I wasn't attracted to him. I didn't want this. So I am me and I'm a bitch. And I just said, you've got to move out. You've made no effort to find a job, to find your own place. I know you have friends nearby. Go live with them. I will never love you. <laughs> Oh. And he said, but I love you. And it, that's enough. No, my friend, you deserve better than that. I've been there, done that, got so many t-shirts. So don't do it. And now he's engaged. Oh, great. So it all worked out for him. <laughs> <laughs> but Bo is reminding me of this guy. And I'm like, oh, dude, <laughs> you got wow. to stab. Because for me, with Edith's demeanor, especially in this chapter, of course she's getting impatient with him because he's being an idiot he's becoming very pathetic and he's like i'll do anything whatever you want don't leave me i get it yeah that does make sense it's not pathetic to be vulnerable no or to need support or to ask for the support you need no that's sexy that's very sexy i suppose i'm just trying to understand what is making Bo pathetic and i guess it is there's no specificity about his needs or there's no yeah, it's there's no logic actually he's just throwing away his needs yes yes that's it his only need according to him now is her and that's not right something from the beginning of this chapter that i liked because there's not a lot of that, so I'll, I'll <laughs> no. say it now. Mm. I did really like the description of the darkness in the car. Mm, I agree. I think it's relatable in a lot of ways. And because it's me and because it's what I always do, I made it queer. <gasps> Yay! Queer time! It was easier to talk about this than the dark car. The streetlights were behind us already, and in the low gleam from the dashboard, all the crazy stuff seemed just a little more possible. It seemed like she felt the same sense of non-reality, like normality was on hold for as long as we were in this space together. This description made me think of... Oh god, there's no way to describe it without getting very specific, but it was almost like you're the two gays at the sleepover. Oh, I remember that sleepover. <laughs> <laughs> Not that sleepover. Ruined my favourite film. <laughs> the stuff about um, the sense of non-reality. This space in the dark where because you can't see each other that clearly, you're able to open up. That can go either way. That can become sinister. But something freeing about that, I think it's quite beautiful. The light from the dash, the trees outside. It's not the same as anonymity. Like, you do, you know who each other are. But the idea that you're existing in this in-between space where you can, for once in your life, tell the truth about yourself mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. share thoughts or feelings or maybe experiences. Yeah. And it feels safe because it doesn't quite feel real. Yes. And then there's almost the heartbreak of of the harsh light coming on, the returning to the daily routine, going back into the closet and feeling like, oh, was all of that real? Oh, oh. Not to get too heavy about it all, but it was just, I thought that was a really 
nice description. I love this, yeah. And I think it's relatable in other contexts. I don't think it's just a queer thing. I'd never, ever want to leave the queer corner. No, it's where we live. <laughs> but for me, when I was reading it, I was like, this is exactly how it feels when you're getting to know someone for the first time. And you have those really late night calls that will go into the early hours of the morning because it's dark and you're on the phone or you're in bed together and you can just really get to know each other and what is sad you have this impending kind of limit because you know when morning comes you won't be able to come back to this and you won't discuss these things ever again so you want to you want to bottle that moment yeah and you want to remember everything that is being said there's that kind of high of i can risk saying the thing that's a little bit too true i can risk revealing a little bit too much or letting go a little bit more than i might in the harsh light of day. Mm. I guess the word we're looking for is intimacy. It's a really intimate moment and surrounding Bo and Edith with this darkness, moving very fast. It's got, again, that kind of dreamlike quality. Yeah, so we should say it because we so rarely do. You can say it. It was quite lovely, Stephanie. Bravo. That one paragraph. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. We said it when we were doing Twilight. Who the fuck says Holy Crow? <gasps> I'm so glad you picked up on that as well. Yeah, it used to really, really bother me. And it's still there. That could have been changed. Maybe we need to do an Instagram poll. <laughs> Who says Holy Crow? Do people? When this episode goes out, I'm going to do one because I need to know. Okay. Holy Crow. I understand Holy Crap. Holy cow. Holy shit. They can swear they're teenagers. Yeah, yeah, but not in a Stephanie Meyer book. They can't. Mm. His father is the chief of police. What if someone heard? <laughs> so the hand-holding was bothering me in chapter eight because Bo kept grabbing Edith's hand and it was clearly making her physically uncomfortable. He wasn't asking for her consent and she wasn't liking it and she kept pulling her hand away. So in this chapter, there's a lot of stroking of the hand and she seems a little bit more okay with it. And then when something is said and she thinks she's upset him or is trying to kind of egg him on to explain more of his thinking, she offers her hand to him. Hmm. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. No, I've got a... Do you not have a thing for hands? Sorry? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, go on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got a thing for hands. <laughs> I like big hands and I cannot lie. Wow, okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> hands are really important. And if I'm on a date with someone and they've got small hands, I, we can't go anywhere. Oh my God, so you're a size queen. They can't be smaller than mine. And I've got quite small hands. So it's not about the quality of the hand. It's the quantity of the hand. It's the quantity and quality. They've got to be soft and nice. The nails have got to be cut well. I just keep looking at my hands. Everyone listening to this is going to be staring at their hands. The hands say a lot about you how you look after them what do they say i mean i've now got tattoos on on two fingers you know what does that say i'm a thug thug life i thought hands are important and so okay i know this is really geeky of me but so i love period dramas and we all know this i've said it a lot the joe wright version of pride and prejudice with Kira knightley he focuses on mr darcy's hands because in the time they weren't really allowed to touch without the woman wearing a glove or knowing one another being properly introduced and also it's to symbolise marriage, you know, the hand of marriage and this. So there's some beautiful shots where Mr Darcy helps Elizabeth into a carriage 
And it's like a moment where their hands are touching and that's a big deal back in those days. And then he puts his hand away and as Mr. Darcy's walking away, they close up on his hands and he stretches his hand out. Like his hand has been affected by the touch. Hands are important. Wow. You know, and there is a lot of that in Twilight and Life and Death, actually. Yes. And I guess, you know, it's because she's not going to let them have sex for a very long time. So you've got to let him stroke the hand. Maybe it's symbolising courtship. I don't know. I once made a man take a photo of his hands. <laughs> Let's stop there. <laughs> have you got any more points before we get to the kiss? Yeah, she's just a bit intense. Well, the thing is, she's got this cool but harsh demeanour juxtaposed with his pathetic, whiny attitude. And I'm like, this. I don't understand why these two people are attracted to one another. I understand why Beau fancies Edith, but she's quite mean to him. And she, okay, yeah... It might be nice to have a break from not hearing anybody's thoughts for a while. But I wouldn't understand why this character... I don't understand why this character is attracted to Bo. We have the information already. We haven't got it yet in the book about this particular blood thing that she particularly fancies his blood so maybe it's just chemical but we did have this in twilight as well we did question like why is Bella attracted to this dickhead also sometimes there is something quite attractive about someone who is utterly devoted to you i really don't find that attractive so you wouldn't respond well if a guy was like am i gonna see you tomorrow and you were like well would you like to and he said more than anything i've ever wanted (laughs) i think i'm gonna move schools (laughs) Because that's what Bo says. And then he says to us, the reader, so much for playing hard to get. I know. I'm like, oh, Bo, come on. When? So Bo tries to kiss Edith, but it's described in a way that you don't realise what he's doing until she literally goes, nope. (laughs) It's like he can't admit to us that that's what he tried. She says, I'll see you tomorrow, Bo. And he says, I knew she wanted me to leave now. What the fuck gave you that idea? She's saying (laughs) goodbye. He does this all the time. Stating the fucking obvious. He's clueless. And this is where he seems young. Yes. He is 17 and she is not. So actually, to be playing with him like this... Not cool, really. Mm. Well, who who is she supposed to be with then? Someone else who's like 90. Her age. (laughs) Well, like all her adopted siblings have. Find someone who shares enough life experience for you at least to be on a level playing field mentally and emotionally. Mm. Mm. This is not the behaviour of someone who is emotionally ready for a relationship with an adult woman. No. Mm. I just don't see how they're compatible. They're not, you know? And we were excited about Edith. Edith has been a great character to read so far but at the end of the day they're not compatible so um final bit of the chapter yeah he comes home to charlie yeah charlie notices he's pale charlie cares that's not my problem my problem is charlie thinks the lady scarf is goofy and i'm like well charlie maybe because you never taught your son how to wear a fucking scarf (laughs) what is a scarf that's weird it's goofy i'm like what is going on so yes that's rude but i do appreciate that he notices that he's pale and i believe Bo is going into shock because he goes to bed and shivers Now, you asked quite a while back, and we've had a bit of a a back and forth on this, about Bo's masturbatory habits. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it's not now. Okay, maybe it's now. Like, when is this happening? So I would like to retract all previous statements on this. Oh, wow. This is... We're in wank territory, Chloe. Oh, oh, is that because the whole bed shakes with him? I don't know if it's better or worse, but that's not where my mind had gone. I was thinking more, I pulled the scarf I was still wearing up <laughs> over my nose and inhaled her scent. Yeah. Almost immediately, my body relaxed, the tremors still in. Oh, what? Oh, no. Ooh. I pictured her face in my head, every angle, every expression, oh, every mood. I feel wrong. You should, Chloe. It ah, is. It is wrong. What is your least favourite part? I've got two. Okay. So, Bo's neediness. I, like, I really don't understand why these two people are attracted to one another at the minute. And my second one is Charlie not teaching Bo how to wrap a scarf around his neck. Yeah. I mean, what is with these people in this novel? I don't know if I blame Charlie. Like, if Bo were my son. No, come on, you have... Look, no, if, look. no. If my yeah, son no. was 17 years old and came up to me and said, Dad listen, can you teach me how to put on a scarf? I would be like, are you serious? Look (laughs) at someone wearing a scarf. Do that. It's not that difficult. No, but Bo visited Charlie when he was young and Forks is the place you're going to learn how to put a scarf on because it's cold. I see. So as a child, you're saying Charlie never provided a scarf. No. Neglect. Yeah, that's maybe why Bo is so damaged. Because he's had such a chilly neck his whole life. (laughs) What about you? What are your worst parts or part? My worst part is that it's boring. So dull. So there's no specific part. It's just dull. Could have cut this down, shoved it at the end of the last chapter and move on. So what's your best bit? My best bit, just the atmosphere in the car. Oh, interesting. My best bit was when Edith says that's a really stupid thing to say. And I think that sums up this whole chapter. Absolutely. Yeah. Cut, print, moving on. I have a question for you, Chloe. Is it burning? It is definitely sizzling, simmering, bubbling. My question for you this episode is, what specifically does Edith's breath smell like? Mm, mm, that's a very good question. Could it be that her breath is magic, so it will be different to different people because it's to, like, intoxicate them and hypnotise? Are you thinking, like, the love potion from Harry Potter? Do you remember this? Does that taste differently? It smells different. It's in the Half-Blood Prince, and everyone describes what it smells like to Harry. Basically, it smells like Ginny. Like, it smells like the burrow and, like, something floral. Uh, Hermione describes smelling books and cut grass and, like, Ron, basically. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that that's oh, quite yeah. cute. So whatever Bo is into, like, maybe it smells like Phoenix. Yeah, the desert. Dry, prickly. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Chapter 9 of Life and Death. Join us next time for Chapter 10, Interrogations. You can find us on social media by searching at ForksCast. And you can rate, review and subscribe to What the Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, take care and stay safe. And remember, hands are important. They really are.